Hello, everyone, and welcome to our The Week That Was in Europe podcast. My name is Dirk Schumacher. I'm the head of European macro research at Natixis, and with me, as usual, is Klaus Adam, professor of economics at the University of Mannheim. Hello, also from my side. So today we have a guest with us. It's uh, Joel Hancock, who is a commodity expert uh, at Natixis. And we had Joel here in our podcast almost a year ago. And we are glad to have him back because uh, in, over the past 12 months, a lot of quite exciting things, to say the least, have happened in the natural gas market. So it's great to get an update on what is driving the market and an outlook on what lies ahead, especially for the upcoming winter. But uh, before jumping into this, uh, let's have a look at the latest uh, industrial production numbers in the euro area, Dirk. Yeah, indeed. I think these numbers in that context of gas and energy markets uh, are quite interesting. We had the French numbers uh, two days ago that were actually quite good, an increase uh, on the month in, in uh, August. This morning we had the, the German figures, which were quite awful, another big decline, uh, more than 2% and showing that the German industry is in deep recession and that has a lot to do obviously with energy costs. So I'll, I'll leave it there, but I guess we'll come back to that theme at some later uh, point. So. Klaus, over to you. So welcome, Joel. So good to have you. So Thanks, the, Klaus. Good to be here. Yeah, good to have you back. So the gas price, so it has somehow peaked end of August at around 300 euros and um, has since come down with some volatility. But the, the decline happened despite all the adverse events like the blowups we have seen in Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. So Joel, what really explains this downward move and does it have any legs to go further? Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question. And I would say that there are a combina uh, combination of, of factors here. So some fundamental, some to do with risk premium in the market and some to do with liquidity as well. I, I think the most meaningful trend is just the robust storage fill rate that we've seen across Europe with individual countries as well as the EU on aggregate due to basically meet these um, storage fill targets that were agreed back in uh, March. So this has a big impact on, on market psychology. Uh, Germany at the moment is about 93% in terms of storage fill. Uh, the EU total is about 90%. The other factor here as well is that we've had a relatively mild start to October. So injections are still happening now ahead of the winter. Um, but beyond that kind of um, broad fundamental point, is another point related to storage, which is the fact that these mandatory storage fill rates were legally binding. And so system operators in the European gas market effectively had a legal mandate to continue to purchase gas. Um, when these storage fill rates were actually reached, that endless bid that was in the market dissipated somewhat. And really the risk reward for a long position um, of a long position, sorry, for a kind of speculative player in the market had, had shifted dramatically and the market seems a lot more balanced in terms of the actual buy-in flows that we're, that we're seeing at the moment. I'd say as well with Russia, I mean, you mentioned the Nord Stream 1 cuts, um, the explosions, the pipelines as well. What we've seen really since June is just continued incremental cuts to Russian flow to Europe. And we've gotten to the point now where we have one more a kind of uh, flowing um, kind of gas line, which which is the flow via Ukraine. Um, but this is a very small volume relative to what we had prior to the invasion of Ukraine. 
Um, so, so really the market's getting less sensitive to any Russian flow dynamic. And that is because what we're seeing effectively is, is Russian flow to Europe tending towards zero. Um, the way we're interpreting these explosions on the Nord Stream pipelines is actually Russia trying to influence the market perhaps indirectly, recognising that in terms of actual gas volume, there's limited ability to impact the market. So they're trying to re-inject risk premium that way, um, but it hasn't really impacted the market that much. Um, so we're not really seeing the market price in any risk to kind of non-Russian infrastructure. Um, broadly, in terms of where this price trend could go, ultimately the market is still constrained by very tight fundamentals. We have to continue to attract LNG by outcompeting other buyers. We have to destroy industrial demand. And so there is a baseline price um, floor, I would say, but we could continue to, to ease off risk premium, especially if the weather continues to be relatively mild. Well, speaking of that, uh, assuming we have an average winter in terms of temperature, how likely do you see the risk of an outright rationing in, in Europe? Yeah, no, that, that's the thing. So I mentioned risk premium and, and dissipating risk premium um, as, uh, as we move away from Russian gas and Russian gas tends towards zero. Um, but instead, what we think we're going to have is a risk premium in the market based effectively on, on weather. So when we look at the correlation between um, residential heating demand and temperature, it's near perfect. And so really what, what we're expecting to see is high, heightened sensitivity um, to these weather dynamics. Um, and so really what we expect is in a kind of normal winter, there will be volumetrically enough gas within Europe. But of course, what we've seen is a complete shift in the flow dynamics. So typically what you'd expect to see is Russian gas being delivered uh, to Germany and then kind of moving from east to west, shall we say. Um, replacing this Russian volume with LNG instead means that the dominant flow or the center of gravity is from LNG entering terminals in northwest Europe and trying to move eastwards. Now we might see constraints in the peak of winter in terms of moving that gas simply because historically those volumes haven't been required to move in that way. So although in terms of um, you know, a, a pure volume replacement analysis, we would expect there to be enough gas if we have a, if we avoid a cold winter, uh, the issue might be in these so, sort of smaller regional flows. Um, but right now we, um, we don't really see um, kind of too much risk of that unless we have a, um, a, a winter on the colder side. Um, I would say as well that we're, we're pretty much having a lot of rationing at the moment, but it's price driven rationing in terms of um, the industrial demand reductions um, across Northwest Europe is about 25%, Germany specifically about 33% year to date from about August. Um, and these are really starting to kind of increase as we start to see industrials hedges rolling off. Um, so through 2022, uh, the first half industrials were, were insulated to an extent, um, but now we're starting to see um, full exposure to benchmark prices, which is starting to kind of cut even more into industrial gas demand. Right, so industri industrial gas demand is only one side of the coin. As you said, heating demand is going to be the issue and reversing flows may be difficult. So some governments now have started to think, uh, because it's perhaps popular, uh, to pose a price cap uh, on uh, gas for consumers, for households. 
So do you think these sort of measures are going to have an adverse effect on, you know, the likelihood of gas rationing scenarios going forward? Yeah, I think the price cap has a few issues because I mentioned on on the first question how, in effect, Europe has to continue to attract LNG and, and that sets, in effect, a floor price for the market. Now, by um, attracting LNG, effectively what we're doing is forcing demand reductions in other markets. So if, if we look at the LNG um, supply capacity increases over the past, say, five years or so, we saw a big increase in 2018, 2019, 2020. But 2021 and 2022 are relatively limited in terms of new capacity entering the market. This will be trend in play really until around 2025. And so in, in the near term, Europe has to continue to effectively outcompete other buyers, which means forcing demand reductions. So really, like in an open commodity market, relative prices will dynamically adjust to fundamentals. And so although you might cap TTF now at a price which looks like it will attract sufficient LNG for the winter, say, for example, we had a cold spell in uh, North Asia, then JKM price, which is the Asian reference, could move up to a point where the TTF price cap is no longer sufficient to attract those volumes. And so that would be one risk of any price cap. And then the other factor, of course, is that Europe is right now balancing its market as well as attracting LNG by demand reductions, predominantly in the industrial sector. So any price cap really would set, um, kind of lock in any demand that's economic now. Um, and it would continue to be able to consume gas and the flexibility for further reductions, perhaps in the face of colder weather, would be relatively limited. So that demand would be highly inelastic. And when we think about the other supply available on the market, it's limited. So really, that would result in shortages. Um, I think the only workable solution for any price cap would be if it was associated with um, with uh, kind of mandatory rationing or, or you know, concrete legally mandated demand reductions effectively to avoid that demand side dynamic. I'd say the final point is that the European gas market is kind of made up of several pricing hubs. Um, so the German gas price, for example, the THE has been at a kind of really large premium to the French gas price or reference, which has allowed gas flow from France to Germany. Um, you know, if we start to kind of cap prices at that point those price signals will become diluted and effectively we'd have to have you know governments deciding how gas flowed across europe which might not be as efficient perhaps as um as the current market-based solutions and politically very contested i guess yes uh, definitely <laughs> some some argue that actually the next winter so uh 2023 24 maybe even more difficult um, as, as the one coming now. The reason being that we're entering this winter now with, with reserves more or less full, but it will be quite difficult to replenish those reserves, assuming that there will no, no Russian gas coming anytime soon. So uh, this winter is tough, but the next one even tougher. Some say, how do you see the, uh, things here? Yeah, so there's a couple of factors here. Um, and the key one is that we didn't see Russian gas flow drop significantly until June when we had the initial Nord Stream 1 cuts. And so really Europe enjoyed 
even post the Russian invasion of Ukraine, a fair few months of relatively robust Russian gas inflow into Europe. And this obviously helped fill storage. Now we're going to be at a point where we're going to be entering the summer period, the injection period where we need to be building stock without this baseline Russian flow. And and so the rebuild is going to be tougher for sure. Um, Now we do have some factors which might be relatively positive for Europe in terms of our capacity to build storage. The first is that we, we will have a kind of structurally higher LNG imports uh, level, but also capacity with new terminals, and that those terminals will be more efficiently uh, distributed throughout Europe. I mean, if we look at the pre-invasion picture, really the UK and Spain had the majority of capacity, and there's limited ability really to move that gas further into Northwest Europe um, with new German terminals, expansions to Dutch terminals as well. That should mean more efficient routing of LNG within Europe. The other point goes back to the fact that industrials were relatively insulated from higher prices, at least through the first half of 2022. Um, So entering into um, the injection period in 2023, we should still see kind of big year on year increases in the demand reduction um, seen in the industrial segment. And then finally, um, the power market dynamics that we saw in 2022 hopefully won't be repeated. So effectively, what we had was gas generation actually increasing on a year on year basis, despite TTF prices at times being you know, above 200 euros per megawatt hour for a period of months. And that's because we had some kind of a really extreme drought, um, which reduced hydro generation and nuclear outages in France as well. And so hopefully what we'll see is um, kind of more hydro generation, a recovery in nuke generation, which will take some of that pressure off gas in the power sector and allow for demand reductions. Um, but all of these factors should contribute to offset that loss of Russian flow. But ultimately, um, it will depend on the weather, which is going to dis- determine the amount of gas we actually end this winter with. So you mentioned, of course, that we're going to effectively enter this winter with full storage. If we're able to kind of avoid an extremely cold winter, we think that the balance of fundamentals will mean we'll we'll end the winter with relatively high levels of gas and storage, a comfortable amount, which will kind of with the kind of fundamental factors I mentioned, allow Europe to rebuild inventory. The issue is if we have a cold winter, Without Russian gas, it will be difficult to rebuild. And at that point, we think we may see TTF starting to spike again in the summer um, of 2023, because at that point, we're still going to have these mandatory storage fill um, dynamics where kind of system operators are forced to buy gas at any cost to reach 80% fill rates, 90% in the German case, and that could result in prices spiking once again. So although there are some fundamental drivers which should be able to replace these lost Russian volumes, again, it's going to be all about the weather dynamics. Well, again, 2023, all of Europe uh, at the mercy of the weather in terms of what regards gas supply. Let's hope for a warm winter and a wet spring then. So um, so looking a little bit further ahead, you said there wasn't a lot of new capacity, LNG capacity coming online before 2025. 
Um, and, and that would, I suppose, imply that it's going to be difficult to substantially structurally replace on the supply side um, this, um, the gas um, that is available to Europe in case of, say, harsh winters and so on. So how do you see the longer term dynamics playing out? How much more expensive will gas become um, over the next years here in Europe? Yeah, no, exactly. So what, what we're seeing with Europe's additional LNG is effectively Europe outcompeting other buyers. So with no additional volumes really on the market until 2025, Europe still has to be the premium gas market effectively. So you have to outcompete these other buyers and essentially the price must, must tend towards that level which destroys demand in other markets. So you're thinking about power generation in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, forcing those um, countries to, to more kind of polluting sources such as fuel oil or coal in some cases. Um, and generally just um, in, ensuring that prices are, are at that level, which encourages that, that volume to flow into Europe. Um, now, this does obviously kind of assume that LNG is de delivered on a spot basis, so referencing TTF. Um, we might start to see more long-term contracts. So, for example, it's been reported this week that the UK is um, negotiating up to a 20-year contract with Norway um, for a fixed price uh, reference. Um, not entirely sure what that reference will be, um, but contracted volumes are likely to be cheaper than uh, spot TTF, and they might have a variety of price linkages, either to Brent crude oil, which would be a throwback to the pre-liberalisation period uh, for European gas markets, or perhaps Asian or or Europe or US gas prices, um, but but I think it is key to note that that volume will be that price sorry will be far above the pre Q3 21 price level, which is when we first started to have you know higher gas prices in Europe. Can we can we quantify this? I mean, in terms of you know cents per kilowatt hour, or is there a chance to do that, or a rough a rough measure we can get on that? Yeah, so I mean, if we look at um, kind of TTF spot level right now, we're about 170, 180 euros per megawatt hour. In terms of where the market will tend um, towards, there's two dominant drivers. So if we think about the actual fundamentals of the market, we started to see price sensitivity in, say, South Asia. Um, markets don't have a huge capacity to pay additional um, costs for gas, about 50 to 60 euros per megawatt hour. So that's one um, floor level, fundamental floor level. But also if we think about the demand side and the continued requirement to curtail demand, one of the key drivers is actually in a normal year, the ability to actually switch uh, between power generation sources, particularly coal and natural, ga uh, coal and natural gas. Um, so the increase in coal prices, but also carbon prices, has meant that these switching levels themselves have risen as well. So compared to you know the 2020 level where we had European carbon at perhaps 20 euros per ton, now we're kind of 80, 90 euros per ton. Um, that encourages gas-fired generation. So in, in order to effectively curtail gas-fired generation, 
the price that gas needs to actualize that is that much higher to incentivize coal. Um, when we put all of those um, kind of forward coal and carbon costs into our model, we come out with a price of about 100 euros um, per megawatt hour for natural gas in order to um, curtail gas fire generation in a market with normalized hydro and nukes. And so really, we are expecting that to be a long run floor for the market until around 2025 when we start to see these additional LNG volumes. Cheap, cheap energy will be obviously one competitive advantage for industries in some countries. But listening to you, um, there, there is a kind of a global market, though it's far from perfect uh, for gas. So how, how big can these differences be and, and how relevant, if you will, is therefore also the argument of cheap energy in, in, in some countries, say, say like the US? Yeah, um, I think we really need to determine Know, gas supply, gas supply sources, shall we say, and, and gas sinks. So the US is you know, relatively rich in uh, hydrocarbon production. Um, EU, Asia generally is a sink for energy commodities. Um, when we do think about the US, um, they have abundant resources, relatively uh, kind of reactive producers, shall we say, in terms of um, the elasticity to higher price levels um, and, and really cap the export capacity as well. Uh, and so really what this results in is definitely a higher US gas price than perhaps the pre-2021 level, but definitely no rise to the extent that we've seen in Europe. So at the moment, US prices are about $7 per MMBTU. Historically, they would be in the shale era about 2 to $3.5 uh, per MMBTU, so a doubling. But this obviously compares to almost a tenfold increase in European gas prices. Um, so, so really, the US is going to continue to benefit from th this cheaper energy source. And when we have started to see industrials relocating to um, the US, and when we look at US industrial gas demand, it's actually held up pretty well, despite all the macro headwinds. We think this probably represents US producers being able to outcompete European producers for you know, fun fungible goods, which are traded on, on a global market. Um, where there is more competition, shall we say, is in Asia as another source of, um, or another sink for gas, shall we say. Um, now, historically, Asian markets or North Asian markets, so Japan, South Korea and the coastal provinces of China were the premium markets and they were used to outcompeting European buyers for the marginal gas molecule on the market. But what we should say is that although JKM is the spot price and it tracks TTF relatively relatively well, the majority of gas inflow or imports into North Asia were actually contracted. And so they would be referencing a mixture of Brent, Henry Hub, which is the US gas price, or TTF in some cases. Um, but what this means is that the actual price is actually a lot lower than the actual TTF spot price or the JKM spot price. And so these costs are naturally lower, although still they have you know, doubled or tripled in some cases. Now, the issue for Europe is that although we are trying to you know, import more LNG, obviously it's a kind of step change above the levels that were expected to be imported or, or required. And so we're having to buy on the spot market. 
at you know premium prices linked to either TTF or or JKM in some cases. And although we are trying to contract more gas, um, we're going to be contracting a, a price level which is referencing you know, the post Key 321 regime, which has just seen higher energy prices across all contracts. Right, it doesn't look very good. So, <laughs> so looking a little further ahead, uh, is there still a lining somehow? I mean, if you were to think about Europe's energy infrastructure, say in 10 years time, is gas still going to play a big role or um, how do you see it there? Yeah, so the way we're looking at um, long-term or mid-term gas market dynamics in Europe is that ultimately Russian reductions, structural Russian reductions in flow will be replaced by demand reductions. In the near term, these unfortunately need to be price-driven demand reductions, and that explains the prices that we're seeing right now. But if we dig into the Repower EU plan, ultimately these are look, looking at structural demand reductions uh, for natural gas in Europe. And, and so anything really that looks at you know, how to take gas out of residential heating, which is about half of gas demand in Europe, they're going to be really, really incentivized. And really, when we look at the numbers, it's it's going to be driven by huge increase in electrification. Um, so huge build out in renewables, upgrading grids, new electricity interconnectors to ensure that safe flow of um, electricity across Europe is going to be incentivized massively. In the near term, um, it's all about ultimately moving gas within Europe more efficiently. You know, the center of gravity that I talked about, moving LNG from west to east rather than Russian gas from east to west. So, you know, make, making sure pipelines can have reverse flow, more FSRUs to you know, in, get LNG into where it needs to go, perhaps into Germany, into France, rather than have these LNG bottlenecks in the UK and Spain. Um, but, but these are short-term solutions, I would say. And in the mid to long term, it's just all about structural gas demand reductions, which probably going to be driven by electrification. Yeah, it's not easy to to summarize, and and certainly not not with a positive undertone. Though you said, of course, the the worst might be behind us in terms of the price, if and that's the big if the winter is not too cold. But even if it's not a cold winter, then going forward. Uh, the the adjustment will will take quite some time. The the end um, or the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, is renewables uh, and electrification of all that. But um, I guess we'll we'll have to talk a couple of times on this podcast before before we're there. Uh, anyway, thanks so much, uh, Joel, for for your time today, and well, speak to you, Klaus, next week. <laughs>